I got a story that I want to tell you this morning. It's supposedly true. Uh, I guess if there's documentation, it might be true. It may not. But I've got a story that I want to tell you to start this morning. We're on our third power shift, and we're talking about alignment. And uh, so the story goes like this. It took place off the coast of Newfoundland with the Canadian authorities. And the event, this event was chronicled in the following transcript. So uh, the naval ship said, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. And the Canadians came back with, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. As you can see, this is kind of creating a conflict here. The naval ship came back on and said, uh, this is the captain of a Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your course. As you can see, this is probably getting heated. I can only imagine the, 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 the war of words that's taking place. And the naval ship came back very strongly and they said, this is an aircraft carrier. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support, support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees to the north or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Then the Canadians came back and said, this is a lighthouse, your call. So now, of course, uh, this story kind of gives us a little bit of a chuckle. And, and if you were to look up a good definition for alignment, you would read this. Parts of something that are in the proper position or alignment relative to each other. The keeper of the lighthouse's purpose was to keep proper alignment of the ships near the lighthouse. That was their job. They were trying to do their job. Uh, just because you are bigger and badder doesn't mean you're going to necessarily win that battle. How many knows if all those ships came, a, came uh, hit that land, uh, it would have been a much bigger disaster as if them just changing their course, right? Uh, so now think about your own life for a moment. And many of us, we choose to ignore instructions to follow the Lord's directives for proper alignment with Him and His purposes. Even if we answer His call to take the gospel to the world, we choose sometimes to do it our way, right? We're not always in alignment with His way. But today we're looking at this third power shift in our series, and it's alignment. A-L-I-G-N-M-E-N-T. But I want to begin by saying this, and I want us to understand this, but it is time for believers, that's Christians, you and I, to quit looking for a payoff when it comes to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me explain what I mean. The Great Commission says we are to go to all peoples, right? Not just to the responsive ones. Western culture, our culture, has taught us to, to look for immediate returns and results. We want immediate payoff for our missions investment, right? We want it, and we want it now. It's kind of like fast food. If you go to a fast food restaurant, you want it immediately, right? You don't want to have to wait five minutes for your taco from Taco Bell, right? I mean, you want it immediately. I want it in 30 seconds or less. Uh, can I tell you, it don't always happen that way. There may be a few other people before you, right? And sometimes, you know, fast food, it's still pretty fast if you're getting it within 10 minutes. I mean, am I right or am I right? 
you know, and so, but, but we, we, we want it. We live in a world and in a society that we want it immediately. We want immediate gratification. We want immediate results. We want to, we want to see it. And a lot of times we don't understand that God has a plan and a purpose and we have to be in alignment with that plan. Amen. So a perfect example is what's taking place in South Korea. Has anybody ever heard about the revival that's been going on in South Korea for years? You know, some of you may have heard of the, uh, of the church there that Dr. Cho pastored for years and years and just the work they've done and the, 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 the thousands, if not millions of people that have just given their heart to Christ through the work of this church. And so this is a perfect example of this. And, and a guy by the name of John Nebius, and he held this attitude. He, he would never have gone to Korea if he had had this attitude of, of needing immediate results. He had never gone to Korea in 1890. Yes, I said 1890. <laughs> so I want you to just bear with me for a minute. Uh, Korea at the time was a very hard field. About 30 years before, Roman Catholic missionaries had experienced extreme hostility but Nevius, a Presbyterian missionary who was in alignment with God's plan, he implemented the beginning of the indigenous church movement that we know today. And if it were not for Nevius, we wouldn't have the Korean revival and church growth that we see today. Operation World, uh, this source says that South Korea is over 20% evangelical. Other sources believe that it's one-third of the population is evangelical. So it is time that the church, it's time that we get on our knees and that we cry out to a loving God and get the direction that he wants us to go in. Amen. You know, we don't need to look at a map and say, well, this looks like a great place to start. <laughs> you know, I mean, have you ever, have you ever, now, now could God uh, direct that dart? Sure he could. I'm not saying that he couldn't, but I'm saying for the most part, that's not how God wants us to pick where he wants to send us. God don't want us just to look at a map and say, oh, let's throw a dart and see what happens. I believe that he wants us to spend time in prayer, figuring out what his plan, what his purpose, so that our plans align with the plans that he has for us. I believe that if you have a, a heart to go somewhere, wherever it may be, if it's to a foreign country or just in your own backyard, whatever that plan is, I believe that if you will talk to God, I believe that God will reveal to you his plan for you. And it's important that we get his plan and that we're aligned with his plan. Amen? God's plan is far greater than our plan. Amen? But we need much prayer. We need to listen. We need to make sure that we don't try to push our will, but we align our will with God's will for where he wants us to go. And when we're obedient to his direction, that is what is known as a kairos moment. And I, it's K-A-I-R-O-S. So what is a kairos moment? Scripture uses two different words for time. One word is chronos, and the other is kairos. So chronos is where we get our term chronology. Cronus time can often define how we live, always watching the clock. Anybody ever, you work and you just sit there and you're constantly waiting for that, you know, five o'clock hour, you know what I'm talking about? I remember some jobs that I've worked when I, especially if it was slow, oh my goodness, you get into the habit of watching the clock. 
Because let me tell you something, when it's slow at work, that's the worst time to be working. Because it seems like time just gets slower because you just constantly are watching the clock, waiting for that bell to ring or waiting for, you know, the time for you to close out your register or whatever your job may be. But you're just constantly looking at that clock. That's what Cronus is. Cronus is us watching the clock, living by self-imposed deadlines, becoming a driven type A personality, always feeling like there's never enough time. Kairos is what I want to talk about here. This is another kind of time that the Bible talks about. And this term can be translated as a, a moment of divine opportunity. In a Kairos moment, God gives us the opportunity to align with him and what he's about to accomplish. Jesus lived and ministered on Kairos' time, and he commanded his disciples to do the same. The disciples were to act on the Kairos principle of time, and after Jesus' ascension, they went back to the upper room where they had celebrated the Last Supper with him, and there they waited. They needed to wait for power, the kind of power that comes with being in alignment with God's agenda. The door opens and you go through it with God-given alignment power. Now, Paul also experienced this kind of moment. If you have your Bibles, you can go with me to the book of Acts. Go to chapter 16, and I want to read just several verses beginning at verse 6. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, when they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, God had a specific task for Paul and his team. And Paul listened, he obeyed, and he gave up his original plan, and he realigned his plan to fit God's plan. Amen? The fact that they depended on the Spirit's guidance did not mean that they waited for an unmistakable sign at each turn, trusting that God was putting his desires and thoughts of guidance within them. They moved forward in their plans. And when God kept them from going in one direction, they would go in another, trusting the Holy Spirit to either approve or disapprove of their plans. The Spirit honored their faithfulness and proved his desires and purposes by opening or closing doors of opportunity depending on where he wanted them to go. Now, it may not always be what we envision. 
You know that? Every one of us growing up, we have what we think is what we want to do for our life, right? I mean, some of us, we want to be a race car driver. Some of us, we want to be a fireman or a policeman or a nurse or a doctor or whatever it may be. But you, you, you have that and you think, man, I want to do this. And then you start realizing, well, it's going to take this much time at school and this much time of, of work or this much time of that. And you're thinking, yeah, I don't want to go through all that. I mean, right? I mean, you know, it depends on what we do. Or, or I'm not fit out to be that. You know, I may have wanted to be a world-class athlete when I was growing up. But guess what? If I don't have the abilities to be a world-class athlete, guess what? I'm probably going to need to change my direction and, and, and forget that dream. Correct? Am I wrong? I mean, because if, if God has not given us those abilities to be able to do what we think we want to do, we're not going to be able to do it. Because God has not empowered us and aligned us to be able to do that. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a will for us. And there are things that he wants us to do. And we have to follow that plan, that will. So how do we stay in alignment with what God wants to do? Well, I want to remind you first of what God's will for us is. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is God's will for us. So how do we live in those Kairos moments? How do we live in those moments? I have four things that we must do in order to live in those Kairos moments. Number one, we must have a good balance of structure and spontaneity. A good balance. You ever, you ever mess with much sound? I don't know if you remember the old stereos. They had a, a balance knob on there. What happens if you turn it to one side? What happens? You only hear sound out of one speaker, right? If you turn it to the other side, you only had sound out of the other speaker. So you wanted a good balance. If you wanted a good mix in your house, you kept it in the middle. You try it until one speaker goes out, and then you turn it all to one side so you can hear it, right? But you know what I'm saying. I mean, if you want balance, you keep it in the middle. We need a good balance of structure and spontaneity. We cannot do ministry based on nothing more than a good business plan. Amen? We can have a good business plan. We can have a plan. We can, it can be what our heart wants. It can say, man, this is what we want to do. But if God's not in it, it's not going to be fulfilled. Just because it worked for the church up the street does not mean that it's the plan that God has for us. Amen? We need spiritual revelation. Let me say that again. We need spiritual revelation to understand God's plan and his timing. And it's within that framework that we will experience miraculous results and exponential increase. Amen? So structure by itself will never implement the dynamics of the Spirit, but it certainly can impede it. We can have a great church. It can be put together as effectively as the human body, but if it's not receiving the messages from the one who is on the throne, Jesus Christ, then the structure is only getting in the way of what God wants to accomplish. Amen? Structure and tradition 
make great servants, but they make lousy masters. Now, I'm not saying that we should be totally spontaneous. That's not what I'm saying. That would be ridiculous. But we should be ready. Now, let me tell you, God is all about making plans. You can look in Genesis chapter 1 and you can see that God had a plan. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes through plan by plan. This was God's plan on creating the earth. Creation was a plan. He had a purpose. He had a reason for doing everything. So I believe that we have to have a plan, and I believe that God will give us a plan. Paul had a plan. He knew what he wanted to accomplish. He knew what he, where he wanted to go, what he wanted to do. But guess what? God changed Paul's plan, right? We may want to go, God may be calling us to up the street. I don't know. Maybe there's a house that we think, man, I need to go talk to this house or this person. It's my neighbor, and you know, I need to share with them. And we may be trying and trying and trying to go, but God's closing a door. Guess what? We have to listen and say, okay, God, if you've closed this door, what's the door you want me to go in? Just because God's closed one door does not mean that he's not opening another. He's got a door open for you. We just have to listen to what he's telling us, and then we have to be obedient and go through the door that he's asking us to go through. Amen? But like Paul and his team, God will change our plans. The second thing, we must keep the vision in front of us. We cannot forget the vision. And I'm not just talking about, see, God's got a vision for this church. But not just for this church, God has a vision for your life. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Look at what Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says. And I'm reading this out of the HCSB. It says, The Lord answered me, Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. If you were to look in a business or education or any secular venture, we see the importance of establishing goals and objectives. They guide our activities by helping us in prioritization. Uh, The same must be true for us. God's desire for us is to fulfill the great commission, to go and make disciples and baptize and teach what God has spoken to us. That is our ultimate vision. And each church, this church, the church down the street, the The church in another town. God has given each church a plan, a vision on how they are a part of God's plan. God's given us the vision that everything that we do is about people. Everything that we do as a church is about people. Y'all have heard me say this. People matter to God. Why? People matter to God. And because they matter to God, what? They should matter to us. Amen? People matter to God. So they should matter to us. Now, how do we make people matter to us? Well, every time you walk in this door, 
whether it's your first time or your 20th time, we want to make sure that we provide opportunities for you to seek after God. That's what we want to do. We do that through worship and the teaching of the Word. We want you to find a way to connect with people, build relationships with people that care about you and your family, whether that is through drinking coffee with someone uh, before service or, or making time to hang out with someone outside of church or in doing ministry together. We also want to give you ways that you can in turn reach lives with the gospel. And that could be with you giving to a specific missions group or missionary. That could be you handing out groceries to those that uh, you need that, that need it in our community. Or it could be uh, in you having a one-on-one conversation with your neighbor and you telling them about what Jesus has done in your life. Everything that we do as a church is to help complete the Great Commission. And the only way that we can do that is to care about people. Amen? And I'm going to say it again. People matter to God, and if they matter to God, then they should matter to us. Amen? That's the important thing that we need to get down, that we need to understand. No matter what we do at church, we need to understand that people matter to God. And if they matter to God, they need to matter to us. The only way that we can work to complete the Great Commission is to keep the vision in front of us. Number three, we must know who and what we are praying for. It's so important that we participate in God's big picture. You ever heard the the story or or the, the, not story, the uh, uh, phrase, I can't see the forest because of the trees? We got to stop just looking at trees. You hear what I'm saying? We can't just look at the trees when it comes to ministry. God has a bigger plan. God has a greater plan. And we can't just look at what's in front of us. We've got to see the whole lot. We got to see the forest. We got to understand that there are people dying and going to hell. And we have to do our part to help see that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have the greatest message ever spoken. We have the greatest message ever spoken that Jesus saves. And it's so important that we participate in God's big picture. Now, I know that not every one of us can go to the unreached world. But you know what we can do? We can pray. I told you last week about an app that I have now. And it tells me about unreached people groups. You know what I can do? I can log into that app every single day. I can see a different unreached people group. And even though I may not, God has, may not has called me to that people group, you know what I can do? I can pray for that people group. God, send somebody. Even if it's somebody that maybe raises somebody up in our congregation. But you need to send them, Lord. Help us be a part of that. Help us to help send somebody so that they can know who you are. If we're going to pray for them, we need to know who they are and what their needs are. One of the ways of knowing a person that you're ministering to is by getting to know them, right? You know, we talk about, hey, we need to pray for our uh, neighbor. <laughs> well, how can, you, how, how can you minister to your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor, right? 
I mean, how can we share the love of Jesus with somebody that we don't know? Now, I'm not saying that you can't share it with strangers. You can share it with strangers all day long. But a lot of times, people are not going to be receptive if you don't know them. There's, there's a saying that I've heard that people, people want to know how much you care before they, know, before they know how much you know. You understand that? They want to know how much you care before they care how much you know. I said that better that time. <laughs> Because a lot of people are just looking for someone to care for them. They're just looking for someone to just reach down and show them the love of Jesus. You know, many times we make excuses on why we can't be a soul winner. But the truth is we can make a big leap by praying for that specific person. Have you ever noticed that when you start praying for someone, your opinion of them changes? Why is that? It's because you are to, you're starting to see them as God sees them. You say, well, this person's my enemy. This person's the person that, that I, I struggle with. I struggle with talking to them. I, you know, I, because they did me wrong back in 1942. Can I tell you, it's, I think it's time to get over it, Right? It's time that we be the better person and say, you know what? God saved me. God changed me. And I know God can do that for them too. And when you start praying for that person, when you start seeing, uh, 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 when you start praying for them and you start seeing that person as the way God sees them, as a soul, as someone that needs to be saved, there's something that changes inside of you and you start wanting to see God do something great and you no longer not want them to be a part of your life, but you want to see God change their heart and their life. You know, Jesus told us, he told us what to do in Matthew 5, verse 43. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, this is Jesus talking, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? See, the tax collectors were some, they were the lowest of the low. They were the most hated people. And he's saying even the tax collectors can do that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, if we want to see the Great Commission completed, then we have to know who we're praying for and know what their needs are, even if they are what we consider our enemies. And number four, we must maximize the harvest. You know, I've gotten into gardening lately. Probably drive my family nuts. I love how seeing stuff grow. When you plant the seeds or, or you put the little transplants in the ground and how when it comes up, I've got a watermelon right now in my yard that's this big and I can't wait till that thing's ready. I want to cut it open and see if it's any good. You know, if, 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 you have a good, if you have a good harvest, it's fun, right? If the harvest is terrible, it's no fun. You're like, I went through all that effort for nothing. You know, I've had, I've had purple whole peas growing like crazy. You know, it's, it's fun watching that stuff grow. I've had okra that's, that's growing. Yeah, I don't have a huge garden. My garden's bigger this year than it was last year. 
but you know what I've done? I've gotten out there. I've tilled the work. I mean, I've got. I've worked hard. You know, I, I bought me a little tiller this year. It's a little electric tiller because I don't need a big one. And I just got out there and I, I cultivated the the ground and and I put some I put some uh, 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 fertilizer in it and and done some things. I I made my rows. I planted my seeds. I watched videos to see how to do it. I've done all these things hoping for what? I'm hoping for a good harvest. I'm hoping to maximize the harvest. There are some crops that have been successful and others that are not so successful. But one thing I've learned is that there's several steps that you have to take in order for a great harvest. Some crops take more work than others, but the end goal is to maximize the harvest so that you can get everything you can out of that specific crop. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah chapter 28. Look at what he says. He says, listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? When he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and smelt, spelt in its field? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. So here we have a few observations, right, that I see in this passage. First, there is a time for preparing the field and soil, right? This could be a lengthy process. The farmer cuts down trees. They remove the stumps. They, they dig out the rocks. He, he breaks up the ground, removes obstacles, and then he levels it out. And his goal is to prepare the soil so it will accept the seed and yield the maximum harvest. And when the soil is ready, it's time to what? Quit plowing and start planting, right? You can't just plow all the time. Amen? If you just plowed all day long, you'd never have a harvest, would you? Because all you're doing is you're just preparing the soil. But you do have to prepare the soul. You have to get it ready. You have to do a, go through the process. The same is true for the church today. The process is like a garden. It involves what? Strategic prayer. It, it, it involves intercession. It requires sending people out to check out the landscape. It means that we don't necessarily expect immediate results. Harvest will come, but only if we persevere in clearing out obstacles and preparing people to accept the word of the Lord. This is making a proper preparation. The second thing that I see here, different kinds of seeds do better in different kinds of soil. Look at, this, look at it this way. There are different kinds of methods that work better in different kinds of soil. A strategy that works for one church may not work for another. Amen? A strategy that works for one type of person may not work for another. We have to figure out what works and what doesn't for the harvest that we are going to reap. But the passage, it doesn't end there. It also describes the harvest. Look at verse 27. It says, Caraway is not threshed with a sledge nor is the wheel of a cart rolled over cumin. Caraway is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. Grain must be ground to make bread so one does not go on threshing it forever. The wheels of a threshing cart may be rolled over it, but one does not use horses to grind grain. And verse 29 says, All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, 
whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. Can I tell you, God will give us directions on how to reap a spiritual harvest. And it's this passage that I just read to you that offers us reassurance that God gives wisdom regarding how the farmer is to proceed. We can also let this reassure us that God gives us the wisdom that we need to harvest. Amen? Ecclesiastes reminds us there is a season for everything. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. In order for the church to be the best version of who God wants us to be, we must understand something about gardening. Preparing the soul is just as important as taking in the harvest. It's going to test our patience. It's going to test our zeal. It's going to test our commitment. But we have to know how to plow and plant before we can see the harvest. Amen? And if we want the stamina to follow God throughout your life, then you must be in proper alignment. God, what is it you want me to do? God, what is it you want this church to do? Here's what I feel. I've been at this church 12 and a half years. And here's what I feel. I feel like we've been plowing the soul. I feel like we've been tilling We've been getting the ground ready. We've been planting seeds. Can I tell you, God has a harvest like we've never imagined. But we have to make sure that we are listening and praying and obeying what he's telling us to do. We cannot just have a map and throw a a dart at it and say, well, wherever it sticks, that's where we're going to go. We have to say, God, what is it that you want for us? We know that you've given us a vision. We know that you've given us a plan. Now we want to hear what that full plan is, and we want to walk in alignment with what you have for us to do. Amen? Can we pray? God, we just thank you for allowing us to come here today. Thank you for allowing us to be here in this service. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, to our minds, and that as we are doing your work, we are listening to what you want us to do, what you want us to accomplish. And God, I just pray that you would give us strength and wisdom in everything that we do. That it be your direction. You be, that we be aligned according to what your plan is, according to what your call is. And that we listen and understand you, you. And we make a commitment to you. We give you praise and we give you glory. I want us to do something as a congregation this morning. I want, you, I want us to take a moment. I want us to ask God. Maybe we have to ask forgiveness. God, forgive us for not aligning with your plans. And I want you, if you're here this morning, I want you to search your heart. And if there are any areas that you see where you may not have allowed, have not followed God, I want you to ask God for forgiveness. Can we just do that right now? Can we just take a moment right where we're at and just explore your heart, explore your life? Is there any place, is there anywhere that... That God, maybe there's a direction that God wanted you to go. And maybe God closed the door and you haven't followed and gone in the door that God opened for you. If that's you, just right now, where you're at, just say, Lord, forgive me. 
Lord, forgive me for not following your plan. Lord, forgive me for not aligning my life with your life, with, with your plans for my life. Lord, forgive me for not being who you want me to be. Lord, forgive me for not walking in your steps. God, I give you praise. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for every individual here. I pray for every individual here, God, that maybe has not walked in the steps you want them to walk in. And God, I pray right now, God, that you would open their hearts, open their lives, give them, show them your love. And God, if you've closed the door in one area, God, I pray that you open the door, they hear your voice, and that they would begin to walk in the door that you have opened for them. God, maybe it's a ministry here at this church. Maybe there's something that you're preparing for them. Maybe there's a plan. Maybe there's a new ministry that you're going to open up for them to walk into. Maybe you've opened that door already and they just haven't walked in yet. Maybe they're scared or nervous. Whatever it is, Lord God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts today. That you would do a work. Now I want us to do something. Can we do something here? Can we pray for one another? Maybe just the person right there next to you. Maybe can you just, maybe y'all just put your arms around each other or or just lay a hand on each other's shoulder. And can we just pray for one another and just pray, God, I pray for your guidance for each, each person. Let's do that right now. Let's just pray for those that are around us. God, we just come to you right now. We pray for everyone, God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I praise you right now. Lord, I give you thanks and praise and glory, Lord. Lord, I worship you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus.
Make that your prayer this week. Surrender to everything that he has for you. I'm telling you, God has some great plans for us. But we have to be open and receptive to be able to walk in the door that he's opened for us. A lot of times that door is not always what we think we want. You know what I mean? I never had plans to pastor a church. Never. And one day I felt God calling me to pastor a church. It wasn't the door that I was, the doors that I had walked in had been closed. And God's like, I want you to walk in this door. You know what I had to do? I had to start preparing my heart differently. Okay, God, you want me to walk in this door? I don't know what to do. (laughs) And I had to start asking God and being receptive to what he has for us. God has plans for everybody here. God has a purpose for everyone here. We just have to walk in the door that he's opened for us. Amen? And start preparing our hearts. I don't care how young or how old you are, God has a door that you need to walk into. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And we need to be listen and then be obedient to what he has for us. Our ushers are going to be at the back of the service uh, this morning to receive your tithes and offerings as you leave this morning. I want to ask you something. Have you ever had anyone encourage you to give until it hurts? You ever heard that? It's the no pain, no gain philosophy. The problem is that this line of thinking seems counter to Paul's teaching. Paul says God wants us to give cheerfully. God wants us to authentically feel joy when we release our resources into his kingdom. So the real question is, How do we get there? How do we become the kind of people who honestly get an intoxicating surge of joy when we give? The answer is practice. Like anything else in life, growing in something requires practice. At first you start small, deciding in your heart what to give. Then as you give, your faith grows. You realize that everything already belongs to God And you begin to believe that God is your provider. So you give a little more. And before long, you can't wait to demonstrate your deep trust in God. Releasing your resources back into his kingdom is nothing short of exciting. So the saying is wrong. It's not give until it hurts. That doesn't sound cheerful at all, does it? It should be give until it feels good. Because the longer we practice this call to be generous, the more we can grow and the more we can advance God's kingdom. And what could be more cheerful than that? Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that you bless this offering. Bless each and every person that gives. I pray that you help us to be who you've called us to be. God, that we would surrender to your calling, God, and whatever you've laid upon our hearts, God, that we will faithfully give according to your plan so that we can be the people that you've called us to be. And God, I pray for blessings over every individual that's here that gives. Pray that you bless their heart, bless their life, and help us as a church to use those resources to be the church that you want us to be. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. One final thought before you leave. Uh, If you want to go to the Light for the Lost dinner this year, please be sure and let me know by next Sunday. I need to send a head count to our district office so that the host church will be able to make preparations. Alton Garrison, our former district superintendent and our former general assistant superintendent, he's going to be our speaker. And it's going to be a great night. 
learning about missions. It's free to you if you want to go. I just need to know how many want to go. Uh, I, we always have a good time every year we go, and uh, we, the food's usually good, <laughs> and uh, the speakers are usually good. So I think you'll enjoy it, and I would love to have you go with me uh, this year. Y'all have a wonderful week. We'll see you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock.